Hello and welcome to Tales from the Hook Season 2. I'm your host, Katie Kelleher, otherwise known as Katie Cranes. I'm guessing you've listened the whole way through Season 1 and you are back for some more. If you are, that's great. If you're not, you can expect many more stories in construction, many more people who work in the industry, their stories, what they do, how they got into it and what they're up to now. So hopefully it will be an exciting ride. So hold on, strap in and enjoy it. This podcast has been very kindly sponsored by our friends over at Libra. If you want to find out more about Libra's products or brilliant innovations, please click the link at the bottom. Today on Tales from the Hook, we have Catherine Evans who is a mining geologist, a working mother of two gorgeous boys, Boulders Brass tribe founder, a powerhouse of a woman, and who, as her LinkedIn profile will tell you, is flipping the bird off at the status quo. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. (laughs) I'm a powerhouse. You are an absolute powerhouse of a woman, and that is exactly how I see you. Oh, thanks. So before we go into it all, I want to just talk a bit about being a mining geologist. I don't even think I fully understand what you do. So how does one become a mining geologist? Did you always want to be a mining geologist? No. No, I wanted to be a book illustrator when I was little. Um, And then I wanted to be a marine biologist for a while until we watched a video in biology class of a fish being cut with a scissors oh, and it nearly fell off my chest because it was disgusting so I thought I'll go with rocks because they don't make you sick <laughs> that's a good reason yeah yeah just like shiny rocks so you decided in in kind of school time that this was this was the way you were going to go yeah and geology wise because we had a really good teacher she we had geology as an a-level option um so I took geology because it was it just looked really interesting. And then she blew my mind straight away with the geological eras and like how old the planet actually is and where the dinosaurs come in there. And then all of this that comes before, I was like, gone. I was like, this is just uh, addicted to learning about this now. This is amazing. This is like learning from the beginning all over again. And that was great. And then went to uni. So you, know, you go and do those questions with the careers advisor yeah Um, because I thought maybe it was like two options well there was marine biologist at that point so it was three options army or maybe this geologist thing see how that would go so I answered all these questions and it came out 100% geologist I was like oh well let's uh see where we're going with this (laughs) so I went to uni but I got got into clearance because I'm actually I don't even believe that for a second. I don't believe you're thick as shit. Yeah, and I came out with a two-two because I also had a job when I was in uni. I worked at a surf shop back home in Swansea, but I went to Cardiff. So I come home on the weekend, work, then go back. So I wasn't I wasn't party animal like everybody else in my house. And I really, really enjoyed the classes that we did on mineral extraction and mining, probably because of the the link and the heritage being Welsh that we just you learn it to death when you're in school the industrial revolution living in that area where we're just surrounded by coal um I just loved it and pictures they love showing pictures of big trucks 
So, but the first thing I did when I finished uni was I sold out to oil and gas and I went to work offshore. Okay. Yeah, found my way across. I don't know, I came from, I had to get a bus to get to Bristol Airport to fly to Amsterdam to then go downstairs and find a train to get to North Holland. Um, to, and then I needed to stay in a hotel to get a taxi in the morning to a heliport to get on the helicopter to get out to the rig. And that was like when I was 22 by myself. First oh. job I'd ever done. Just, yeah. Oh, and offshore as well. Shit in my pants. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so I bet funny. that was a real learning experience. Yeah, yeah. And like that, that was my first job and that was that was normal. So that sort of set the bar of what I felt I could do and what jobs were like. So after that, then when I was applying, I went to live in Holland then for um, a year I was there. I had enough there, I wanted to come home. So I was applying for jobs and there was a job in coal mine. So mining geologist. Okay. Oh, I can do that. So I didn't even think that it was a working coal mine because it's like, there's no more of them. So I applied for it, went home, went to the interview. I think they couldn't believe that there was a woman applying for the job and that she'd been working <laughs> offshore and that she was like chopsy as hell. So I got through that interview, came back. Um, they told me, you are actually going to have to work underground mine. I was like, oh, <laughs> like, didn't you realise that? Well, no. <laughs> and then he's like, what did you think it meant? Not really sure. I just really want this job. Um, so I got through that and then came back for another interview and they took us underground um, and made sure I was at the front because it was me and two other boys at the front and went, get back. I've done so much work on this. I've learned so much about this quarry and not quite mine. So I was just chops in at the guy taking us around, the health and safety officer all the way around. And then I remember at the end, I said, oh, she kept up, mind. That you were gonna leave him. <laughs> I'm just gonna stay here. Yeah, and cry. I'm a bit scared. <laughs> oh yeah, but and then that's how I got got into it, and um, absolutely loved that job. There is something about working underground that is so different, and I think it's because of the the condensedness of everything. There is nowhere to go. Like, um, you're all together. It's very, very, you, like the butty system where, you know, like Welsh people say but a lot because of butty um, and your butty is a person who looks out for you underground and you look out for them back. So it's like, that's what right. but is. Um, you always look after everybody. They all look after each other. They would, they'd be singing. They'd be stripped down to their pants sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, and riding the belts. So you weren't supposed to ride the belts all the way down. They did. I didn't because I was too small. But then like, to get back out, there was areas where you had to go and stand on this, um, this kind of like the, the railing bit that you could stand on. It was all gritty. I can't think of what you call them. See you know they sort of mesh? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know you what you mean. stand on that and then you've got the belt yeah. going underneath you and you've got to time it right because there's coal on the belt. <laughs> then you jump off you dive onto the belts and this is the bit you're allowed to like, ride and then you've got to keep your head this down. sounds terrifying that was so much fun and then you have to not fall asleep on the belt as it's going to click, 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 click. 
and make sure you keep a lookout and like don't sit up on the belt because you get your head knocked off when it goes too close to the ceiling. Um, and then you have to stand up on the belt when it gets a bit bigger to just step off. Oh, it's so funny. It sounds, it sounds yeah. like there's so much that could go wrong there. <laughs> so much, so much that could go wrong. So like that, yeah, that was my introduction to health and safety then. So I had like working offshore and that. Um, yeah, you only do, only do ridiculous jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, moving into kind of construction seems a bit tame, really, <laughs> Catherine. It all seems a bit tame. I know. I went to work in um, engineering consultancy for a little bit, and I felt like it, they, they were very straight, and I was bonkers. And it was me and a guy from Bather, which is, like, is seen as the rough end of the valleys. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Right. But he, we got sent to the back room. We had to sit in a back room together because we were covered in tattoos. The clients were never shown around our area. And we were in there getting told off <laughs> laughing all the time because we were so loud. And then we got moved to an open plan office and neither of us lasted very long after that because we were just both a pain in the ass. We were both oh. belonged in industry and like being in an engineering consultancy of having to be prim and proper. My language is too bad and too yeah, obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> it just not for me <laughs> no yeah I, I can I can I can kind of relate I I've, I swear a fair bit myself I try not to but I, I think it comes with working on site and asserting my dominance it's not it's like if you don't swear on site and people think they have to mind their p's and q's around you then you sort of you're becoming that person that like making yourself different yeah. Like and and yeah, I know yeah. that we should accept everybody for the differences, but I feel like as women in the UK construction industry, not there yet. I just want to be accepted as the same as everybody else. And maybe in the future we'll be able to accept everybody's differences as fantastic differences because they are. It's just right now yeah. I'm not going to be telling anybody off for swearing around me. And if somebody does swear then um and they apologize or like mind their French or whatever it is they say. I usually drop the C yeah, bomb yeah. to just make them realize I'm okay and I can swear. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna make you feel really comfortable here or uncomfortable, depending <laughs> on where you stand. Thank you for apologizing for swearing, but <laughs> you're fine. I you, said yeah. four times. see you next Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I'm not averse to it myself every now and again. You've already said it in this conversation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I try to be conscious. I try to be conscious that it's not a word that everyone likes. And um, I I try to hold back. I I really do. And uh, especially now that, because I work in an office as well. (laughs) So I try to be a little bit more reserved. Then I know what you mean about being on site and it's, and it's right. We should. Everyone should be able to be themselves. But you do find yourself kind of slipping into that kind of macho banter, swearing. And I do it myself. And you know, I kind of think that's how I got by on site. I got by by tearing people down in about two sentences for saying <laughs> something. <to me. laughs> 
and it's awful isn't it because you should be able to go to work and be yourself and just do your job and go home at the end of the day but a bit like you I was, I was quite obnoxious on site I think site Katie was kind of like sweary loud obnoxious very feisty I mean, once I threatened to take someone's head off their shoulders, you know, like things that you wouldn't do in real life while walking around Tesco's. You yeah. just wouldn't. Yeah, because it's a different world. It is different to regular world of sitting around the dinner table with your parents, isn't it? It's not like that. It is different in the construction industry. Like we were talking about earlier, it's not like working in an office and it's not like working in academia it's not it's definitely not like working in HR. It's, HR it's, not, no, it's not it's not it's not like working in HR, no. no it's kind of like the safety version of fishing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. It's um and you know, and I, I do get a bit upset at the, you know, this whole snowflake term and that you have to be double R to work in construction. Because I think you should you should be able to be yourself. I really do believe that whoever you are whatever your beliefs, your morals, your whatever, you should be able to bring that to work and just do a job and go home. And I think it's, you know, it is quite sad that we do kind of slip into these roles and you do, there is that kind of perception that you need to be double hard to work on site. Yeah, I think that's the resilience thing, isn't it? That is your resilience shield. It's that front that you have to put on. Yeah, but uh, exactly the same. I think we've made ourselves out to be those people but we both aren't because we both want the same thing that is to be able to um accept people's differences because that that diversity is what drives innovation which is what's going to keep this co- the um industry rolling Massively. and we can see no, that as being the diverse people in it that you shouldn't have to do all these things. And we've been doing it for a long time. And you can see that we have actually we've just discovered that about ourselves. We've become those yeah, we've just We've just discovered that we are stereotypes <laughs> of ourselves when we go into a construction site, which is quite sad. So I'm like, no, everyone should be themselves, be themselves. And I go on and I'm like, no, you fuck face. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm here. Don't even look at me. Don't even talk to me. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, maybe one day we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. That, doesn't even, that wasn't even a convincing yeah, Catherine. That was like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if you go to site and you're like, I hope they can't remember how many people I've told, do they want to lose an eye because they blinked and like, winked at me? <laughs> if that stops happening, eye? then I'll stop swearing. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, agree. So, I mean, that that move to site must have been a little bit different from you from working in your kind of coal mine, jumping on conveyor belts, then working in an office, then moving to on site. Now, I know that you have two gorgeous boys, quite young. So how do you manage that? Because that's not always the easiest thing with working in construction, is it? That kind of balance, that life balance. Yeah, I think that's that's where the part of my job is I do a lot of working from home now, but before it was, we were in a regional office, not that far away. And yeah, that, it is quite difficult because the whole the schooling hours just don't work. 
um, the schooling hours, I'm, I'm sure there's more to it than that, but it's based on how long children can actually take information in for. But it just doesn't work with having a full-time job and two incomes needing to pay a mortgage. That's what that's what it comes down to. Otherwise, one person's not worth. They'd be able yeah. to do all of the the wonderful things of bringing up your kids that I remember doing with my grandparents because there wasn't any wraparound care with my primary school. That was in, in the early 90s. It was my grandparents lived next door. Um, I'd go home and spend that hour and a half with them doing whatever, picking potatoes, whatever it was we were doing that day. Um, yeah, so we have got wraparound care, which we're quite lucky to have that's in the school. Um, and the crash, the same crash is associated with that. So my son knows them still from when he was going to crash and they do after school care, but it's difficult in the morning because he doesn't start till 10 to 9. And we've got one to yeah. take to crash for half seven. So James will drop Yori off at crash half seven and go to work because he works in Bridgend. And then I will take Idris to school, walk him up to school and then come back to start for nine. And if if he's in a good mood or like stuck doing something somewhere, which is watching TV, then I will be like, I might be able to send an email or read my emails or something in the morning, but yeah. just, just don't start till nine. And then in the afternoon, Yori is still in crash until five to half past five. So James picks him up on the way home and I'll go and get Idris for between five and half past five as well. But yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. Like the, the juggle with it is really hard um, because I work away a lot. So then James has to do it all by himself. That And that's where we, you know, we're talk, me and you and many others talk about women in industry and how do we get more women in industry and why aren't there more women in industry and why haven't we got these people? And this, this is the problem, isn't it? This is the problem. We're massively inflexible as an industry. And, you know, when you're working away or if you're working on site, how do you manage these things? How do you you know working a job that gets you up at five in the morning at home at seven eight nine o'clock at night because a lot of people have to travel quite far as well and how do you manage mm -hmm. kids with that unless we can push as many women as we want into the industry but yeah if we keep on women as like the primary carer then yeah but also dads do a lot more than dads used to do so james James will do more than 50%. I think now James probably does 60% and he keeps cleaning the house. So he used to only clean yeah. the house when he was angry. So I always knew that he would <laughs> up he'd be slamming covers and things were being put away and thinking, oh, he's in a bad mood now. <laughs> My house is getting cleaned because I'm terrible at cleaning. I used to, <laughs> but then I had kids, and I'm like, what's the bloody point? Because as soon as they put it away, they'll pull it back out. So yeah. Now he started cleaning stuff because he realised actually likes living in a tidy house. Now I feel really lazy because I'm just I'll just sit there, not do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you but, just make Do you just make him angry on purpose now, just to get him riled up? And definitely <laughs> angry by the time he's finished tidying and realises I've sat on my ass though. <laughs> <laughs> I got told don't use that shower when I got home from the gym earlier on if bleaching it I mean yeah I, by the sounds of it you're very lucky to have James 
Yes, he's he's also does all the cooking. And- Oh, so you are very, so I mean, your balance in your relationship allows you to do your job, essentially, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, if you were both in industry, that might yeah. be a lot harder. If you're yeah, both he's... working on site and working away, it wouldn't, you know, what, something would have to give, wouldn't it? Yeah, he was working in the same company as me, um, but he left a few years ago and he works in manufacturing, but he's finance director now. Oh, he's trying to lead by example of, of for the team and um, for everybody there of, of being a 50-50 co-parent. Yeah. And if people that's... need time off or something, he trusts them to make it up. Oh, that's really nice. That is they really... Yeah. A bit of give and take. Exactly, yeah. Because people got, it's like, our lives are more important than our jobs, I think. They have to be. They have, yeah. I mean, it, it is... It is sad that, you know, I mean, especially, I mean, I always look at it from a, a site. Sp- 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 <laughs> a site perspective. <laughs> That's the word I was going for. That, you know, and I often think that if I was still back in cranes and things like that, how would I, I mean, my, my husband's a crane operator as well. So how, if we had children, how would we do that? We wouldn't do that, one of us would have to give up work and that's and that's how we're losing all these skills and people are dropping out of industry and we can't we just make it really hard on people i think we just make it as awkward as possible so they have to leave and start a new career and do something else and yeah something boring something that they weren't cut out to do yes something that allows flexibility yeah exactly and i think that i mean looking at jobs and reading through them thinking this sounds like a fantastic job but there's no interaction with the team on site so it's like that's the bit that I love yeah and to actually be able to do that there's going to be a constant juggle with the kids growing up um and that's the way it's got to be because otherwise I'm going to end up doing something that makes me utterly miserable um just so there's somebody home to pick the kids up and they're not going to get the best of me if I'm miserable no, no, you know, you need you need to feed yourself as well as uh, yeah, yeah, as and that's, that is really important to me is to make sure that there is some of Catherine and yeah. not just like Idris and Yori's mum. I think I think there's plenty of Catherine around. <laughs> I think she's I think she's still there. I want to push on a little bit now, just a little bit. So, Boulder's Brass. So you're the Boulders Brass Tribe founder. What is Boulders Brass? Uh, Boulders Brass is a women's network that is it's kind of not just women for women. It's for women and our allies. Um, we I set it up so that we had somewhere to talk about all of the bollocks that we were facing and to be able to support each other. Uh, if we had best practice, I was hoping that companies would share their best practice with each other so we could talk pull companies out of the hole they were in or like stagnating. I think a lot of companies are. They're just not going anywhere. And also the really drives me round the twist <clears throat> because there's just so much going on with that. Um and so I wanted to know like who are the companies or virtue signaling. So I don't want to end up working with them. We want to be able to have somewhere where we can talk about fantastic companies less so about the crap ones 
um, because not really here for slacking companies off. No, I'm here to pull them out of the hole and try to try to help as much as I can. Um, so it was it was for support, um, which then led on to um, being a network like a cobweb up and down the country, so women could actually climb a ladder or have a squiggly career in any any direction they wanted because they had access to all these brilliant women across across the UK. And then it got a bit further and now we've got members who are in Australia and Canada and we've got some in Denmark and Sweden. Um I think India. There might be there's a woman in Iran as well who's or Omar who are in the um in the network now so when you learn about the stuff that they they go through or the positives that they have or they find some ppe that's amazing it's like why are we getting that where can we get that from who do we need to speak to for that to become like something that's imported or one of our companies british companies to go have a look at it and see how are they doing that and so there was that aspect of it as well and then it became like campaigns too like the PPE revolution, that's the one that started straight away. And that's you the one are that the PPE queen, about. by the way. I'm just Pardon? you are the PPE queen. <laughs> but uh, the Catherine is the PPE queen. She's gonna explain why now. But she's absolutely <laughs> if you have any questions about PPE, oh my god, she knows everything. I've never met someone who knows so much about PPE. I do love PPE. <laughs> James doesn't love PPE because our house is full of PPE. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to offload pair onto you, Katie, and then you did. To I didn't. I, I didn't buy it, but <laughs> I almost did. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, um, I interjected there about your boulders brass talking about PPE. I'll let you carry on, but you. Oh, that's that's, just, that's the way he's going anyway. Going towards PPE. Um, yeah, we started off trying to do a trial. I got sent loads of PPE and. Um, lots of different companies wanted to get involved and wanted to send out different types of PPE and different types of fabrics that they were using because as you get, um, well, just this constant change of temperatures, everything seems to be getting hotter and hotter and you need to be, you need to be cool doing your job and especially as a, well, I should imagine it's exactly the same on a construction site as it is when you're sitting in the middle of a field logging core, then you're going to need to be cool because you're going to feel the heat. I remember seeing construction workers when they used to do the little cut-off vests. Oh, they were sexy, weren't they? <laughs> and they were like the riders who had <laughs> cut-off vests. They'd taken it all the way up to like the, the bottom, high-vis band. And it was like they didn't have a top on underneath and they had short shorts. Um, and, yeah, they just looked like Australian brickies. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Just so far against what PPE is about. How did they get away with that? Because nobody knew anything about PPE. Yeah, yeah nobody, everybody just thought it was a bit bright, nice. Oh, pink PPE. There we go. Oh, I pink, bet you bloody love pink PPE. Devil's work. <laughs> I, I, if I walked on site and someone gave me some pink PPE, I would be so disgusted. I would be fully disgusted. Oh, I thought you were going to be like, oh, my, I love no no i hate it no, I, i've seen these pictures with like these pink hard hats and i'm like no, i mean don't get me wrong i like pink i've got nothing against pink but as a ppe why do i want to stand there? i mean you end up looking i mean i'm gonna say you end up looking like a giant penis 
Giant <laughs> that's what you end up looking like. And I, I no, I'd be re- not that anyone who wears pink PPE. This isn't a dig. It may sound like a dig. It's not a dig. It but you be. should know that pink <laughs> isn't actually a high vis color. It just it has to have white mixed into it, so the re- reflectivity has been removed from it, and it doesn't meet the standard of the EN ISO two zero four seven one. Well, this is see that's that's the science. So I just thought it looked ridiculous, and it looks science, yeah. <laughs> and it is gender stereotyping. So, it is. and I think yeah. that's that's partly why I I shun anything. Like yeah. I got pink stickers, I got pink website. I like pink, but I don't want to wear it. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to have that choice taken away from you and have it handed to you. If you've got seventeen pairs of boots, which we don't have, by the way. Um, if you've got 17 pairs of boots and they're all different colours and you go, I'd like the pink yes. ones, then that's absolutely yep. fine. I do have a pair of pink boots. Yeah. I do have a pair of pink boots. They're the most uncomfortable boots I've ever worn, but they look great. Are they men's that have been shrunk down? No, they. I think they're women's. I think they're women's. They're just, they don't. It's some, it's, no. Look, everyone's individual, aren't they? And some things work really well and other things just don't. And I know other people love them, but for me, they just squeeze my heels. And <laughs> And um, yeah. Oh, and the pink. And the pink, which yeah. I do quite like. And in a boot form, I like it. In a high vis, not so much. <laughs> oh, picky. I know. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so you are, so your knowledge of PPE is massive, isn't it? I mean, we're talking fabrics, we're talking Velcros, we're talking everything. I've never met, I mean, for those that don't know, me and Catherine recently sat around a round table with the CIOB talking about women's PPE uh, and the fact that most of it is shocking. Um, I've never had good fitting PPE. I've never had women's PPE. It's too long in the sleeves. It becomes a health and safety issue. It becomes a confidence issue. There's loads of other problems, which you can look up the article and read about. I won't go into it all now. But we recently sat on a round table and Catherine wowed me with an absolute knowledge of PPE. And I think that's, I've never met anyone who knows PPE in this amount of depth. I'm just like, yeah, it's too big and it hangs off and I don't like it and it's uncomfortable. And you're like, this is why it's uncomfortable. This is why it's not fitting right. It's the material. It's this, it's that. And I was like, all right, wow. Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? No, I like it. I really <laughs> because somebody has to know. Somebody has to know this stuff. And I think, you know, this this agenda, I'm going to call it an agenda. This agenda that you've got for better women's PPE. And I don't think people realise just how many things that it impacts. It's not just big clothes and looking a bit ridiculous. I mean, there are so many things that it impacts in your day-to-day working life. I mean, you can go into it if you like. But um yeah, I just think it's really important. Yeah, harnesses. That's yes. one that's like that unbelievable because it's so obviously a safety thing and harnesses aren't made for women's pelvises. Bonkers. And yet we, we're we happy to put women into those harnesses for, um, well, I think the harnesses, you can get harnesses for rock climbing and they are made for women. But when it comes to PPE harnesses, they haven't quite made the leap. But we've got lots of women working in ecology who will need to get up trees. Like there's plenty of ornithologists, um, arborists. Yeah. Um, we've got 
like the people doing um, rope access. Yes. Or women in Boulder's Brass with rope access who can't get, they can't seem to get them tight enough in a certain place or they're too tight in a different place. Um, they're not even sure. I don't think they've even been tested on a woman who has a fall, how that impacts the pelvis. So that's something that we were talking about. And then things like chainsaw trousers. There's one company making women's chainsaw trousers at the moment, and they do them in all garish colours and not the same colours as the the blokes that they do. Oh. So, yeah, if, if your choice is taken away. And it's that thing about we were talking about not wanting to stand out as different yet. Um, but your choices are like lime green. There's some orange in there. It's not actually Heidi's orange. There's a pink in there. There's a blue in there maybe, but... They're not, there's not enough of it to count as high vis. I'm so sorry, my door's just gone. <laughs> I'm so sorry, give me two seconds. So sorry. That's all right. I'm like, can I go? Sorry, I've probably thrown you right off now, haven't I? Of where Chainsaw trousers, isn't it? Chainsaw yeah. trousers, yeah, in garish colours. Yeah, chainsaw trousers. Um, so I think that that's probably a, that's, a industry that's not even being looked at ecologists because they're mostly women um, and they work on sites yeah. everywhere construction sites they work they work on our sites um and then who do we have a lot of uh, uh archaeologists and they still got to wear full ppe because they're on the ground in the quarry like they, they've not got vehicles yeah. running around them, but we do need to see them wherever they are because they're going to make their way across the quarry at some point. So there's plenty of women doing that role as well. So there's, there's just oh, a nightmare. And boots, Christ, where do you begin with boots? There are great <laughs> brands out there. But um, yeah, we covering up the market completely by still dressing women in men's PPE and companies who've got yeah. very very non-diverse procurement departments and health and safety departments who are making up these rules, which may be great rules for keeping people safe, but they're not thinking about what they're asking people to do then. They're basing it on themselves. So this doesn't work for people who can't get the equipment to fit them because you're asking those people then to make a decision between what is safe and what isn't safe instead of for everybody being safe at once. Like you, you're asking people, if I think of um, boots in particular and having a metatarsal cover on them, everybody on site needs to wear Metcard boots because we've had a lot of Metcard, uh, um, metatarsal injuries. Okay, so come the 1st of January, everybody has to move over to Metcard boots. They don't make, at that point, didn't make women's Metcard boots. So finally got some women's boots to fit you and suddenly your life was so much better because you weren't thinking of your feet all day you go and step backwards because everybody has to have met guard boots so you're making decision of do i go against the rules and carry on wearing my old boots probably going to get bollocked if they find out um or do i go and wear the men's boots knowing that it's probably going to cause me blisters um cramp in my toes from constantly squeezing to keep them on Increasing my risk of uh, trips and falls because I'm now falling over boots that don't tie up properly, so ankle issues as well. And then it's causing pain in the calf, in your knees, 
And because you've got a different Q value to men, which is the angle that the, the hips come out of the pelvis, you're getting pain all the way up your legs into your pelvis because your feet are being forced to stand slightly differently than they would do when you're wearing women's boots or women's shoes. It's not fair. It's not right. And this all comes from people working in really undiverse groups. That's, I mean, that's a bit scary, isn't it? That, you know, I mean, because that's that's what it comes down to. I mean, the mo- probably the most important thing is health and safety, isn't it? And it's not safe. It's it's not safe for people. And when do when do we go? All right, it's enough, enough. And what scares me is, does it take an accident or an incident or something awful that we can blame on PPE to go? Okay, now we need to do it properly. We mm-hmm. need to actually make sure that we've got correct fitting PPE for everyone on site, suitable, correct PPE for everyone on site. Is it a sleeve that gets caught in a lever because it's massively long? Is it a pair of shoes that causes someone to fall down the stairs or fall backwards? Is it a harness that an incident happens in? And then we go, oh, crap, that didn't actually protect them at all. You know, I mean, that, that's scary. To me, that's terrifying. Yeah, because we're saying all these things, that this, these, these are the issues. This is what could happen. Are you ready to listen? And it just feels like a lot of the time, disappointingly, companies just aren't ready to listen. Do you think it comes down to bottom line and money? I mean, I'm just, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, you know, playing devil's advocate here. Maybe. Maybe. I think it has a lot to do with the ethics of the company. Um, pressure from the top probably is money, isn't it? And then you've got the people who want to do the right thing, who are seen, like we talk about troublemakers. Yeah, because you yeah. can't... Or is it, I mean, it could just be the, the, the fuck it bucket. You know, it's just one of them tasks that seem a bit too awkward to get into, which happens happens a lot in industry. You know, it's there's a lot of things that are just too hard to consider. Yeah, and I think I think they just don't know. There's a lot of the time that people just don't realise, and as soon as they realise, they'll make the difference. Um, when I told the site that I went to, I, I've lost a glove, um, can I have a pair of gloves, please? Yeah, we only have size nine, so, or eight. Oh, God, eight, eight will fit you. I was like, okay, it's going to be way too big if I can actually do the stuff I need to. Um, can you start getting sixes and sevens? Yeah, I just didn't think. I never thought. Okay, so then they sent me a picture of them stocking sixes and sevens. That's all it took was for me yeah. to say, because they've never had anybody there who needed a six or a seven. Yeah, and then UVEX fantastically will make you, if you're missing a finger, or we spoke about it, didn't we? If, you, if your hands aren't the shape yeah. of my hands there, then they will send you a piece of paper to draw around your hand. And they will make you a glove. They will take the gloves that they've got and they will change them to fit you perfectly. That's, I mean, I remember you telling me about that. I was like, whoa, that's amazing. That's so cool. Who is that that does that? Uvex. Just if anyone's listening and they, they need a specialist pair of gloves, it sounds like a fantastic idea. So with Boulder's Brass, so I want to join Boulder's Brass. There's People out there who want to, well, I'm already joined, but theoretically, I want to join Boulders Brass. How do I find you? How do I sign up? How do I talk to other like-minded women? How do I find out about your PPE crusades? Where do I go? 
uh well if you just write into into the top bar on linkedin bonus brass then it'll come up with in the groups it'll come up with bonus brass and bonus brass allies so bonus brass is our women's safe space that's just for anyone who um oh, what's the word identifies i have an issue with identify so it's just a word that disappears from my head now if you identify as a woman you can join that if you identify as anything else then you can join the other one you can be in both you can be just in one so just want people to join because they are slightly different the the boulders brass closed group there's a lot of chat on there constantly um we do put jobs on i put less jobs on there now because it seemed that the women wanted less of the jobs more of the coaching so we've got coaches who are part of the group and they will gift us their time um, and you'll get free coaching and they also put a lot of links on there or a lot of just information about coaching on there and, and things or rewiring your brain to think different ways which is really useful then we also just have a chat it might be uh, this happened to me today um what do you think about that and everybody will start chirping in it'll be quite funny and that's nice to network like that but then you can reach out to anybody else in the group that's good the way that it works with networks you can just talk to anybody else in the group if you go and have a look and then the allies group is slightly different because i tend to post a lot of things on there about viewing things from a woman's perspective and how to be a better ally um there's far less chat and i wish that we'd have more of the allies speaking on there because it's definitely not about telling anybody they're wrong or they've made a mistake um, or making them feel bad for saying something. It's We want people to talk. We want people to understand what it's like to be a woman in this industry because it's different. Um, yeah, it's really different. But you can also get there. If you go to my Catherine Evans LinkedIn page, then you can get through to Bonus Brass then. On there, there's a little link. Perfect. And it's worth noting, just to anyone listening, that Catherine actually does all this in her spare, well, in a very <laughs> limited spare time that she hasn't got. She does all this uh, free of charge. She doesn't get paid for this. This is something that she's picked up and ran with. So thank you on behalf of Women in Industry for doing that and giving us a space to talk and find out what's going on. And I, I just think it's a really brilliant thing. So I'm going to stand for everyone and say thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, you're doing it's, just so, it's nice to be useful. <laughs> it's really important to me to be useful. And this is something that seems to be very useful. And it makes me feel good. So I just I keep doing it. I think it's a really, really important group. And before I end now, I want to ask you one solid question, Catherine. What's one thing we can all do to make industry a little bit better? Uh, stop talking so much and listen I think yeah like the defensiveness in the chatting back to just accept it in and think about it and don't try to be very big bollocks all the time with something to come back at them or like the what about me isms just like Breathe in and learn. 
thank you. I absolutely love that. And thank you so much for coming on today. You are welcome.